0: Welcome to Creators Abroad. I'm Katarina, your nomad guide living in Northern England, and this is another narrative journey where we take risks, find opportunities, and spark our imagination. I create these episodes to help you in your creative journey, find out how to make a living as a creator, and share tips to build a new life in a foreign country. For those of you who have listened to my podcast pre-creators abroad, you would know that I never did a solo episode. This is not a solo episode, by the way. It's just an announcement to let you know there will be some solo episodes from July onwards. These are going to be relaxed. Of course, everything here is relaxed in which I'll spontaneously dissect a topic and share my own experience of struggling to fit in. Financial anxiety, burnout, and losing purpose. But for now, we have a super useful guest with us, patent lawyer Devon Miller of Miller IP Law. So let's dive right in. This is all about intellectual property, guys. And if you think this doesn't apply to you like I did for the greater part of my life, think again. So for the time being, we're just gonna leave the living abroad part of things aside and focus on our work. We're creators, right? We make original content. And sometimes we come up with brands and some of us might even be writing a hit song or coming up with the next best YouTube channel. Even if you've never invented anything, have you ever had a great idea at work, shared it and boom, before you knew it, another colleague suggested it before you could? Or maybe you started a small business fun, but suddenly someone else implements the idea quicker or, boom, simply copies from you, takes your name, tagline, logo, style, everything. And let's be honest, in a digital age where we leave luminescent footprints of our ideas everywhere, how do we prevent others from consciously or unconsciously stealing our intellectual property? this is such a crucial topic to understand. So I jumped at the chance to invite Devon onto the show to explain the importance of patents, trademarks, and copyrights, and what you need to do if you're serious about protecting your brand, and what to do if your idea has been stolen. We'll be talking about delicious apples too. Don't worry, (laughs) you'll see the relevance. Welcome to the show, Devon.
1: Thanks for having me on, excited to be here.
0: So, to give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Intellectual Property. <laughs> can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer?
1: I don't know if I can do it as good as a trailer. That would be as exciting, but I can I can give it my best shot. No. Introduce myself. So uh, a bit of it, I have uh, four or four degrees, So uh, which my wife always says is three degrees too many. So I have a electrical engineering degree, Mandarin Chinese degree, um, a law degree, and then a MBA or master's of business administration. So I, that's kind of, as I was going through a lot of my journey, it was really looking at, I always had kind of two passions or two things I loved and found exciting. One was that I loved um Patents and I liked the legal side of things, kind of arguing and figuring things out and having that. And I also love the startup and entrepreneur. So I've always kind of been chasing kind of two different passions and that's where or what leads me to where I'm at today and I have several businesses that are seven eight figure ones going on nine figure businesses and I also do uh, I run my intellectual property firm as well so that's kind of the the passion I have a um, little bit about the uh, background as well I'm uh, married for 13 years to my wife that we met in college um, we have uh, four kids from ages five to ten so that keeps me uh, pretty hopping as well so between all of that I tend to have a fun time.
0: Yes, well, I think we should do an episode just on how you get round to do everything, have a family, have all of those <laughs> businesses, because I think we're all like, wow, <laughs> we could do with some advice on that.
1: <laughs> Why well, need to keep me busy?
0: Yeah. Scene one: The inventor. The world of entrepreneurship, invention, and artistry is a playground of ideas. As a patent lawyer, you are a supervisor of this playground, in a sense. But you didn't start as a lawyer, as you explained, and you didn't go into patent law and trademarks by chance later on either. Now, your father was an entrepreneur. Did you have an early interest in business? And can you perhaps describe that first moment where you were like, hey, someone's stolen my idea. What do I do now?
1: Yeah, so... Fortunately, or at least up until now, we've I've had one business that I guess kind of qualifies as semi-stealing my idea, but, you know, nothing really to that level. But really where you mentioned my my father was, he's done everything from he's worked from there huge companies, you know, LG Electronics and South Korea, to he did some of his, he started his own engineering firm and has done several kind of startups and small businesses. So I don't know when exactly it hit me that I found it interesting or that I found it exciting, but I always kind of grew up in that atmosphere of, you know, Innovating, creating, coming up with new ideas, you know, testing things out, doing all that, and uh, looking towards implementing that. So, kind of, it was always, I guess, kind of just growing up naturally that I, you know, saw that. And so, at some point, and I don't know exactly when, I kind of probably got that bug and decided that it was something that was fun and interesting and worthwhile to pursue. Um, And then, you know, so I always kind of had that entrepreneur. And then it was when I got to the end of undergraduate after I did electrical engineering and I kind of graduated and said, well, I like engineering, but I don't want to be an engineer in the sense that I I didn't want to be stuck on one project. I didn't want to be stuck on just one thing that I did for months or years on end and did small incremental adjustments. I wanted to see a lot of different inventions and different products and work on them and do anything else. So intellectual property was a way that I could, be a part of a lot of startups and small businesses have that impact see what they're doing and have a, a fun time without having to be on those long-term projects for long periods of time
0: mm-hmm. yes and sometimes they, those projects don't work out either so you spend like <laughs> years on one and then it's like oh nothing's come of it yeah <laughs> so exactly. yeah so can you perhaps just uh, think of that moment when you were like hey because <laughs> i've had so many of those moments where i'm like hey that person's just like, taken my idea and it's gone. So when did that happen for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I said, I've, n- I've never had somebody steal my idea, but it was always more of, I always looked at it maybe a bit different of, this is not just a protecting, you know, there, there's kind of two aspects of intellectual property. One is that you're protecting what you have and that I definitely get. I did my first startup when I was in MBA school um, and you know kind of started there. And it was one that you had that great idea, you had that inspiration, and you think, well, you know, it's kind of the you know, it's kind of like a magic trick in the sense that once you know how, how the magic trick works, the magic's gone, you can do it, you can replicate it. And that's always kind of the fear of entrepreneurs or startups, is hey, we're gonna put all this blood, sweat, and tears into it. Somebody's gonna or once we figured out, once we've taken the marketplace, somebody's gonna see it and say, that's a great idea, I'm gonna do it myself, and I can do it better and faster and cheaper. But but it's that initial kind of investment of time and blood sweat and tears and so that's kind of where i got into or partially where i got into it was saying hey i'd like to as i do my own businesses i'd like to protect that so if i'm going to do all this investment this time and effort and work on it then i'm going to be able to protect it and be able to you know profit from it and then the other one is kind of hey i'd like to also i saw a lot of value in the intellectual property and these can actually be assets of the company that you can buy and sell, you can lease, you can license, you can make, you know, make the company more valuable. And so I always kind of looked at that as this is another way to increase the valuation, the businesses as we grow them is by make or creating those assets via intellectual property.
0: Yes. Well, that's very true. And now maybe just going back to your rather unconventional study history, cause you've touched on all of this. So your, for example, your undergrad degree in electrical engineering with also hmm. man. Um, why Mandarin Chinese? Just out of curiosity language teacher.
1: It's one that you wouldn't it wouldn't think that it was, you know, it fits, but really the reason was is I went to um uh, taiwan on my mission. So I went to which is a is Mandarin speaking and they speak Mandarin Chinese as well. So I I re, I served an LDS mission or a mission for my church for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. I didn't know Mandarin before, I did did a year of college before I went and served a religious mission. So I didn't have any inclination of learning Chinese, had no idea how to speak it or understand it, but I went and served a religious mission for a couple of years. When I came back, I decided, hey, it would be worthwhile as I'm already had the language to put that on as a second degree alongside the electrical engineering. So it was really just a matter of, because I'd already already done that with being over there in the country for a couple of years, learning the language I decided I'd add it on as a second uh, second degree.
0: Yes. And I mean, it is a a very useful language. I think I definitely learned it as well. Now, just having done so many different degrees, would you define your value most from the qualification that you've done or your experience? And I ask this purely because, I mean, I've done a couple of myself and, but I do know people who are like, well, it's just about the experience. And I'm always just curious to know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I would have said, I've split it, There, split the day. Earlier on in my career is probably about the qualifications. I mean, a lot of times when you're trying to get your foot in the door, get a good job, get that experience, it is helpful to have that that those educational backgrounds. And so I think earlier on it was, you know, at least to be able to get those opportunities to be able to learn and to grow and to do that, I would have said I relied more heavily on the, or on the educational degrees. As I've got more longer term into it, the things that I learned both in school and working and doing my own business is kind of all the above it's that experience. And so I just said, initially it was a degrees, just a paper on the wall, so to speak, to get you in the door, to yes. get that experience. And now as I've gotten farther into my career, it's, it's kind of flipped where I worry less about the degrees and the, you know, the paper on the wall, so to speak, and more about how can I get the experience in the background and the things that will make me a better boss, run better businesses, be more successful in those type of things.
0: Yes, definitely. Well said. And I think that just like captures the, essence of that, we do it for that initial experience, and then the experience counts more in a sense. So Mm. now having specialized in patents, trademarks and copyright, you have a rare ability to be of, really be of service to small business owners and investors, because it's so important that, as you said, to first of all, protect their intellectual property if they want, but also having that as an asset to their, to their business. Can you describe this service and why it is important you've touched on it, but more specifically, at what point did you realize that you were really passionate about patent law so much so that you started your own law firm?
1: Yeah, there was a few questions in there, so I'll try and touch on them. I mean, yes. as far as kind of, maybe as a level set, just as a 30-second kind of level set for everybody as to what is intellectual property, because we kind of touched on patents and people here, yes. patents and trademarks and copyrights, but you know, a lot of times you kind of hear them, but you don't necessarily, unless you are in, in you know, done it <laughs> or kind of been through it, you don't necessarily know true. what they are. <laughs> so if you are to take the 30 seconds, patents are really protecting anything that's an invention, yeah. product, a widget, software, hardware, anything of that nature, that's going to be patents. Trademarks are going to be brands. And so if you think of name of a company, a logo, product name, catchphrase, all those type of things, those are going to be trademarks. Last one is copyrights. And that's really on anything more on the creative side. So a book, a movie, a sculpture, a painting, a photo, anything that's more creative, that's going to be copyright. So that just kind of gives everybody a level set as to what you're doing. And then, you know, as far as. What you know, you'll have to remind me the second question after that, because I lost my yes. train of thought.
0: Oh, yeah. no, no, That was such a great explanation. I didn't actually <laughs> think because I was I've just been like doing loads of research. I'm like, I know in my head what I'm talking about. But of course, like not everybody's always clear on that. So I was just thinking, when did you realize that these three things that you've just explained, you're really passionate about, you know, helping others understand it and and protecting their assets or their intellectual property that you started your own law firm?
1: Yeah, I mean, so backing up as far as, so I went and got my degrees. I got the MBA degree, I got the law degree, and I came out of school and I, as I'm, in kind of dovetails off the last question, is to the degrees on the wall versus the experience. And so I came out of school. One of the things I wanted to do was get some good experience from some or people that had done it for a longer period of time that had there to give mentoring and guidance and whatnot. So I went work for some of the top law firms here in the U.S. and um, was really, you know, looking at. I worked for clients including Amazon.com and Intel and Red Hat and Ford and others. But I was really getting a lot of the experience, saying, Hey, I want to understand what's kind of the best or done in the industry. But as I was going through that, I always tended to find that I love startups and small businesses more. I did. They were the the clients that were more fun. They were more excited about their business. They didn't have, you know, th- hundreds or thousands of patents. They really just had one or two that were, they're building their business around and you got to be more involved. You got to give more guidance and give more feedback and really uh, be or, Get, have a bigger impact on the business. And so as I was going through and work getting that experience, I found that I liked that working with startups and small businesses and probably meant or matched me liking to do my own startups and small businesses. So about three years ago, I said, okay, you know, this is – it's kind of reached a time where i've got some experience i kind of feel like i'm i have the foundation i'd love to go out and do things on my own and i'd also like to be able to do it my own way and i always think you know i think with most startups or most entrepreneurs they always think they can do it better and myself includes i always think hey there's all these things i think i can improve and do better and and make it better so kind of with all that i decided to start my own law firm to focus on startups and small businesses really to see if i can make this system better such that they get the same representation that large companies do so all those big companies that can hire the big law firms can we make this more approachable and and understandable such that the startups and small businesses get that same level representation same quality same product that the big companies are but make it more approachable and affordable
0: yes okay that sounds amazing and i was just like thinking because i've often heard because I had like an interest in law of people who were saying like, Oh, you should become a patent lawyer Cause they make loads of money. But yeah. So it um, <laughs> was just an interesting point. I thought I'd mention, do they?
1: No. I think it's, it's with all legal fields it, it varies. And I, yeah. I think it's a good paying field. It's an, it's a nice one where you get a, a good compensation, yeah. but it also takes a lot of work in order. You know, you have to go to law school and most law schools, <laughs> when you come out, most attorneys are coming out with, you know, $150,000, 200000 of debt and you're, you know, that's just for law school and then you have undergraduates. So yeah. it is, it's a, a well-compensated bill, but on the other hand, there's a lot of, a lot of time and effort that goes into getting those degrees and getting the experience needed.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> Scene two, the thief. Now in the marketplace of ideas, there are those that are good. Some can make you money. And then there's also the the ideas that are pretty terrible and quickly discarded most of the time, but hidden in the spectrum of mediocrity are also the extraordinary ones that might revolutionize, revolutionize aspects of our lives at a very, or at the very least, act as stepping stones in an attempt to improve our society. Now, what does the marketplace of ideas represent to you?
1: Probably in the single word, it represents opportunity in the sense that you're right, there's There's some that are just revolutionary breakthrough ideas, and there's some really bad ideas, or some that are never going to go anywhere. And then there's that spectrum in between. But you know what's interesting is you don't necessarily at the beginning know if you have the terrible idea or the (laughs) groundbreaking or ground shattering ideas, because you're, you there's, you have to see, or you have to spend a bit more time and actually see where it goes and actually let it pivot and evolve and see what the marketplace is. Cause you know, as many startups and I've worked with, you know, several hundred at this point, and some of the ones that I thought, Oh, that's a, an okay idea, or that's an, a reasonable idea. They take off, they have a big impact. They do really well business, they grow it and others. I'm saying that's really cool technology. That's really, you know, interesting. It never goes anywhere. And so sometimes it's, the people behind it it's sometimes it's a product that they're doing sometimes it's the marketplace sometimes it's cost but it, it, all of those kind of factor into it it's really the marketplace and of ideas and creating things represents the opportunity for people to go out try things out test things out see if they can make it see if they can make a go of it if people are willing to buy it how can it adjust so i think it really represents opportunity
0: okay yeah and then now in business and art understanding intellectual property is crucial to ensuring maximum success so once you've got the idea and you implement it then you have to start thinking well what's my intellectual property and it takes one person to copy and that's very easy what you are doing and if they have perhaps a different network or more convenient circumstances than yourself your idea becomes their success so it is also dependent on your circumstances to a large extent. happens to the things you put into action or the ideas that you implement now what uh we've touched on actually we have answered this question but if you have anything to add to the different levels of intellectual properties and perhaps just adding if these are different depending on the industries
1: yeah and i think that's a great point in the sense that yes they are industry specific and i think they're business specific so Kind of one of the questions a lot of times when people come to the office is kind of where should I focus or what what you know because especially when you get into startups and small businesses they always have more things to spend money on than money to spend and so mm-hmm. you're always seeing what is where should I focus that's the money that I do have where should I spend it and where it has the biggest impact on my business. And so you have to start out by looking and saying, what is the core of your business? What is the thing that really sets you apart and differentiates you? And that can be different based on a business or industry and kind of how you approach it. So if as an example, you're really focused on making the world's next best iPhone, it's going to be the best iPhone ever, and it's going to blow everything out of the water of a smartphone or, or whatnot. Then you're going to say, okay, we're really a product business. We're really making really cool, breakthrough, innovative technology. And so let's focus on patents. Let's focus on protecting that or that product and what we're inventing. On the other hand, you may say, you know, let's say I'm the next best or the next Starbucks or whatever you want to call to where it's not really that you're providing the, the world's, you know, there was coffee and donuts and bagels and muffins well before Starbucks and they'll be after. And yet they were a really good brand company. They built a brand. They had a following. People loved them. They would go to there and they had that kind of unique look and feel to it. And so as they did that, now you've got a different, you're focusing now on the brand. You're not necessarily a product company. You're not creating something innovative, but you've built really good customer service and and loyalty and same thing if you're writing the next book and if you're writing a the next Harry Potter or Tom Clancy or Lord of the Rings or pick whatever author you like or you know video or movies or whatnot then you have to say that's where our business is. so I would back up and really look at where is the core of my business where should I what do I need to protect because what is it really where we're focused on where we're headed so that's where it kind of gets into different industries if you're in the movie industry or the book writing industry you're gonna go with copyrights because that's where you really want to protect if you're in the service industry and you you're not necessarily creating new and amazing breakthrough products, but you're doing a really good job of providing a great service, then you're gonna you go brands. And if you're creating a new awesome new smartphone or widgets or whatever it is, then you go with patents.
0: Okay, that was a very clear explanation. Thank you. And then just from because this is kind of like the industry, which I'm in, what would you say for like online content creators? So say uh, podcasts, vlogs, blogs, those kind of things, would they fall rather into trademarks or copyright?
1: Yeah. So blogs generally fall kind of both, but mostly in copyrights in the sense that a blog could fall under a trademark if you have more of a brand that goes along with the blog. So it's not necessarily the contents itself of the blog, but let's say you have, you know, there's and I know my wife follows one Nene Dialogues, or there's a whole bunch of different ones, and you have some for houses, and you have yeah. some for outdoors, and you have some for farming, and you have some for business. But you build a brand around your different blogs. And you can you know, take whatever that the name of your blog and that and I'll take the, the one my wife follows, Nene Dialogues, is going to be one where that's the brand of the, the blog. And so that in in that case, that would be trademark. The actual branding and the the whole blog, you know, the whole Setup of the blog is going to be that now the actual content of the blog, what you write and how, you know, the images you use and how you write it make you look creative and make it look interesting. That's all going to be under copyright. So okay. it kind of splits to the branding part is going to be under trademarks and the actual content will be under copyrights.
0: Great. Thank you. And then now thinking specifically about business creators or regardless really of the industry, even artists, who think well, I don't know, like, does this really apply to me? Can you perhaps just give some tips on why is it so essential for them to protect their intellectual property?
1: Yeah, and you're saying more more specifically on copyrights and kind of artists and creative people?
0: Yes, I think that's perhaps, um, yeah, well,
1: I'll, I'll flip the flip the question and ask you a question to answer yes. your question, <laughs> which is you know think of you know what think of your favorite song and you know is it has a catchy and it has a certain lift to it and you like the lyrics or you like the music. And if, you know, let's say now you think of that song and it's, you know, popular and everything else and somebody else or and you created it, you're the one that came up with the song. So not just listening to it, but you came yes. up with it. Some of you are to come along and copy that song. They were to basically take the exact same lyrics They were to take the same music. They said it was their own and they went and profited off of it and made a whole bunch of money. They were the top uh, taking, yeah. you know, top of the charts and everybody was listening to it. They got a whole bunch of fame. I would assume that that would be that would make you make it feel like somebody stole something from you or it feels like you did all this work and creative. And so that's kind of the question that they get into is, you know, I would look at it and I guess I didn't ask you a question to answer, but kind Mm -hmm. of just thinking taking that step back of, you know, if you were to create that all of that work and figure out what that, or chart-topping song is, or that blog article that really just resonates with people, or the next book, or you create a movie or a video or a viral video or whatever, you're going to say, okay, this is really something that took a lot of time and effort and thought and I put into it and I promoted it and had somebody else come along and copy that is going to be one where now you've just you just lost out on all of that time and effort that you put into it. And so when you look at it, you know, a lot of times you, you kind of say, well, I'm creating something. I just want it to be out in the world. I just want other people to see it. And that's a lot of times when it starts out small, you just want to say, hey, I just want to get my name out there. But if it were to grow and become popular and people were to use it, you're saying, well, no, I want to have some compensation for all the time because usually with most artists, most sculptures, paintings, whatever, there's about 20 other failures or 100 failures before that that took you to get to where you're at today. And so, yes, at the start, you're just trying to get your name out there. But as you put all that time and effort, at some point, you're saying, hey, I do want to have compensation. I do actually want to be rewarded for all those failures that led up to that success.
0: Yes, that was once again, very, very clear explanation. So just now, okay, so somebody started and clicks. Okay, yeah, this is important. I need to look into this. Can you tell us perhaps two easy steps to start looking into the ins and outs of uh, trademarks. Let's let's focus on trademarks and copyright.
1: Yeah, so if you were to say kind of couple steps to get into it, copyrights are pretty easy in the sense that really you just, you know, you just create it, you know, write the book, make the sculpture, take the photo, do the painting, whatever. The first step is to create it, and then really it's just a matter of filing it. And so, you know, we help people The law firm file. It. You can also file it yourself if you know what you're doing, but it's really the sec- second step is you file the copyright and you get it registered, and away you go. And that's as much as really pretty straightforward and simple protection. When you get into the trademark side is there's a bit more homework that you need to do in the sense that a standard for copy or for trademarks is that it has to not be confusingly similar with what's already out there so in the sense that if there's nike you know if you wanted to go sugarcrate the next best footwear and apparel and sports gear Probably can't go name it Nike because there's already a Nike out there. And if you had to start naming yours Nike, people would think, oh, she's, you know, this is the same Nike that I've already known and, you know, known and bought stuff from before. And so where you're doing it is you have to avoid that confusion in the marketplace. When you're creating a brand, it has to be unique and different than what's already out there for the same or for same and similar types of goods or products and services. And so when you're looking at building a brand, the first place I'd start is seeing is anybody else already using this brand and something same or similar to the way you're going to be using it, or that it would cause that confusion. And if so, you probably need to go on to another brand or figure out a brand that isn't going to be confusingly similar once that you know once that's the case the other thing you're going to look at in the second part of the homework before you get going on the trademark is looking at whether or not um, it would be merely descriptive so the other kind of standard for copyright or i keep saying copyrights for trademarks is that when you get into it it can't you can't go trademark terms that are just describing what you're selling so give you an example if you wanted to go start a fruit stand and you wanted to sell the world's best apples and they were just delicious and they're great apples and, the, and your idea for the name of the company was Apple. Probably can't go get it because everybody describes a fruit apple as apples and you can't stop others from using the terminology apple to describe apples. Now, if you wanted to go start a consumer electronics and made smartphones and a laptop and everything else, you can name it apple because it's not describing a product. So if I get going on trademarks, before I would have... Or, After that, I'd go or I'd go talk to an attorney to get some help. But if I get started, I probably can say, is there others that are going to be confusingly similar to what I'm doing, such as going to create that confusion in the marketplace? And am I doing something that's a unique enough branding that's not just kind of describing what I'm doing such that I'm going to have that Apple problem?
0: Yes, I mean, it's just fascinating for me. But so say you you name it delicious apples. <laughs> you, sorry I was trying to think of something that unique, but I, that's a, that's the best I could. I was thinking yummy apples, delicious apples, but anyway, and um, would that still just be too broad?
1: <laughs> Probably, I mean, you're yeah. you're better than just using the word apple on its own, but when all you're doing is describing that I assume that the delicious yeah. apples are in fact delicious and so they're likely going to be difficult to get it, you know, or you know, yummy apples, same kind of a thing. Now, if you're to say, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, XYZ apples you can just put some weird, yep. you know, thing in front of it. Then it's probably apples. more distinct, you know, XYZ apples. I don't go do that. It sounds like a horrible branding Dave. <laughs> but kind of, you know, people are, go- then you're going to have a brand because you're not just describing apples, yeah. but it's now you're saying XYZ apples are a specific company that's selling okay. those apples that are, are delicious.
0: Okay, great. Now, the next thing, and this is something that hit me. So we can put a trademark symbol once all of that's gone through. Okay, we've got the trademark symbol, Mm -hmm. all of that. We've got the brand name, but there is also the case of when we discuss our ideas with somebody or this could also be inventions or any kind of intellectual property. And then they go, "Mm, I like that. Is there like some way where we can actually protect like maximum protection for our ideas and what could potentially go wrong if we don't think of all of this
1: yeah so a few questions in there <clears throat> so if you were to let's say you waited to some of these have different deadlines that you have to file by and if you don't file by them then they're open to anybody to use and so I'll give you an example with patents patents if if you put it out in the public you offer it for sale you get you want to you know you put it on a website you go do a presentation go to a trade show and you do that a, or over a year ago and then, you know, come into my office and say, OK, I'd love to get a patent on this. I want to protect it and say, mm-hmm. OK, that's great. And then you say, I've only been in business for two years and I've been selling it. Then usually the conversation goes, well, that's great. You have a great business. That you built around it. Unfortunately, you miss your window. Now anybody can do what you're doing. And so that can create a problem that you're not actually if you miss some of the windows, you're not able to go get a patent in the, what would be called public domain. Anybody can do it. Similar thing with trademarks. If you're to, if you were to think about it, if generally is set up that whoever files to get a trademark is a is a presumptive owner of it. So let's say you have the really great brand, you start to build it, you've been putting a time ton of time and or money and effort into it. Somebody else goes files on it first, they get the trademark, they can severely limit the ability for you to use your brand or to be able to grow it or to be able to enter a new market or anything else because they are the first to file on. It. So you have some very limited rights. But if you start to do, if you start to not go after those things, somebody else goes after them before you, they can start to actually box you out of your own market, whether it's stop you from or, you know, are you not able to stop others from being able to make your same product or, you have, or make your same widget or somebody else stops you from using your own brand or anything else. And so those are really the things you have to start looking at when you're getting into it is, you know, how can you when you need to protect things and if you don't protect them by certain dates and you start to lose those rights and it makes it either people can stop you from doing your own thing or they can severely limit your business
0: yes so just one last example on that before we move on to the next scene so for example because this is quite a common problem Mm -hmm. in terms of domain names and so forth so a lot of the time people like uh, create a domain name and then they just don't use it ever and it's still there and you think of the idea like loads of years or I don't know a couple of months or a couple of years afterwards but they didn't get the trademark so they just created it's and it's there online now you have it and you do the trademark thing does that give you the right then to kind of say okay well that's my domain or if you could just clarify perhaps um, is it more? If it's more complicated, don't
1: worry. <laughs> I'll give you the general answer. It is more complicated, <laughs> okay. and there's a lot more to dive into. The general answer is, genuinely, whoever buys a domain is an asset or is it some, yeah. has done something that people own just like everything else. And so, you know, the problem we get into with domains is there's – as the Internet continues to grow and continues to accelerate, more and more people are – putting up websites, they're doing things, and there's less and less domains that are, unless you want to get a very long domain that everybody misspells and they forget how to do it, everybody wants those short domains, and yet yeah, there are less and less of them. And so typically, you're not able to, just because you go and get a trademark or go get in brand, you're not able to go and get... If somebody else already purchased a domain, they own it, you're not able to take it away from them. Now there's a few exceptions. If they're trying, if they maliciously went and got the domain just to try and rip off your product or otherwise try to create that confusion or create issues, you do have some recourse. And so if it's not just, you know, there's a difference between, hey, they already own the domain, you went now, you started a brand, you didn't own the domain, they started first, you're not able to, you typically go get it. If, on the other hand, you created a great product and now you have somebody that goes and tries to acquire the same or similar domain and tries to confuse all of your customers to come by from you, you do have some recourse. And so it, there are some recourses, but generally it's hard to, if, they, if somebody else already owns a domain, to go and whether or not they're actively using it or not, it's generally hard to go and, and try and take that away from them.
0: Okay, yes, I was just thinking that's quite a a question that pops up often just because of the fact that the internet's constantly growing and there are so many domain names that are already taken. So it's just kind of like becomes a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Scene three, competitors through negligence. Focusing specifically on the creative industries. Well, we have kind of been focusing on that, but now just perhaps homing in on podcasting, the idea of a trademark may feel sterile, and this is simply because creatives don't always just—they don't think about it, basically. Mm-hmm. So, what are the three most common mistakes people make when it comes to intellectual property?
1: Yeah, and we touched on them a bit. And I'll maybe I'll, what I'll do is kind of give one mistake for each of the three different—you mm-hmm. know—for patents, yeah. trademarks, copyright. So. Patents, we've already probably touched on, which generally the biggest mistake is they wait too long, they don't realize there's that one-year time clock, or the other one is that it's also a first-to-file system, meaning the first one to file on an invention is the one that's presumptively the inventor of it or the owner of it. So usually they wait too long and somebody else files, or they wait too long and now it becomes public domain. So waiting too long on patents is generally the biggest mistake. I'll just now, a side note is I'll just spell one of the big myths that a lot of times you'll catch it on the internet and it floats around, which is you know, people there's the myth and out there that says, what you, you don't really need a patent, what you need to do is write all of your ideas down, you put it in a self-addressed uh, envelope, you mail it to yourself, never open the envelope, and then you can show that you're the first one to invent it. And if anybody comes along afterwards inventing it, you can show that they did invent it, which is, okay. there's a, a minuscule, maybe tiny bit of truth to it, but it's so convoluted and so unlikely that you're ever gonna do it, it's, it's almost of zero value. I mean, it's better than I guess absolutely doing nothing, but only by a, a minuscule amount. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of one of the myths on patents okay. now and, you know, miss and top mistakes that you get on there is, is waiting too long. Trademarks is a bit the same in the sense that the biggest problem or the biggest mistake people make with trademarks is they never do their homework. They go out and they start building a brand. They'll get it. They'll invest one or two or three or four or five years into it, start to actually get a following, get a brand, get a reputation, only to come to find out somebody else already owns that brand. They already There's already a trademark All out right. there. Somebody else has already been using it. And now you've got the issue of, okay, what do we do? Do we rebrand? Well, we spent a whole bunch of time, money, and effort branding the first time. Do we go get a license? Well, licenses can be expensive. Do we go try and acquire them? Do we wait until they find out about us and hope that they never find out, which is not a good recourse? And then, you know, all those things are kind of are going to be a lot bigger issues and a lot more expensive in the long run because you didn't do your homework on the front end. You didn't think or do or look into it as to whether or not that brand is available and whether or not it's going to create any issues. So trademarks generally is they don't do enough homework on the front end, start developing a brand only to find out somebody else owns it. Mm-hmm. copyrights that was usually the, there isn't as much usually the if they run into a mistake or they have something that there catches them it's because they didn't document when they created it, and it's, that can be the hard thing with copyrights is yeah i created this five years ago and i created it it's mine i didn't copy it from someone else than the original person that mm-hmm. came up with it but they never documented so you don't know did you know how do you prove whether you created it? two weeks ago, or two months ago, two years ago, or 20 years ago, if you never documented it, it can, that can be a bit of a difficult time or a bit difficult ability to recreate it. So those are kind of some of the top mistakes that you get as people are getting into those various, various areas.
0: Okay, that's once again, really, really fascinating. And it's good to know so clearly or hear it so clearly. So now just thinking about new mediums like podcasts, which are becoming really, really popular. And given the fact that it is published publicly and I've seen some contracts going around more recently, as we become more aware of perhaps some law issues or, you know, like just issues about it, ideas and things being shared openly on a podcast discussed, Mm -hmm. and then republished and reused, for example, by the podcast host, just re publishing basically ideas from a podcast guest, for example. So just thinking of these new mediums, do you think they complicate the law? Do you think the law is adjusting to them? And what are some of the major risks that content creators run, so like podcasters?
1: Yeah. So I think that the, the law is always, is a law is a slow moving thing. So it's always feels like it's catching up and technology and, you know, innovation and that is always are ahead of the law. So podcasting and then those type of things is it's start the laws and that are starting to catch up to it. But it is one where the, you know, as these new things and whether it's a new social media platform and social media is another good one, podcasting is a good one, but they're all kind of ahead of the law until the laws now is kind of getting or figuring it out and the case law is getting or is going along. And so that one's kind of one that it is always evolving and it is kind of one that's a little bit of the initially the wild west mm-hmm. and to add the until it slowly evolves. Now, as far as, you know, kind of you talked about as far as um, podcasters and that when you get into it, one of the mistakes that, you know, often are made or, or issues that are um, found is that you'll get... People that don't realize that they're stealing content or that they don't realize that they're lifting out someone's content. That can be everything from, hey, I found a, you know, as I'm doing a podcast and podcasts are a bit harder in the sense that if you get into blog, it's easier to, to get an image. You know, you know that if I oh, yeah. right click and I don't have the this to my image, then OK, then I probably took it from somebody I shouldn't. or if I copy and paste an article from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, is. When you're creating it, if you don't have those contracts in place specifically for a podcast, you don't know who has the ownership. Then when, you know, in the sense, right, let's say the one we're on right now, if I didn't make any agreements and I'm putting in content, you're putting in content, then who owns it? Do you own all uh-huh. this because you're the podcast host? Yeah. Do I own Do I have ownership of it because I'm helping to create it? Do we both have ownership of it? And so it gets a bit murky. And so a lot of times the reason they're getting contracts is to try and avoid that saying, hey, yeah. You know, it can be as simple as, I own everything, you can't do anything with it, or I own it, but hey, I, you can, I give you a license to do anything with it. But if you don't have any of that in place, it leaves it a bit more open as to what who, who has ownership. And it usually more defaults to we both have ownership in the sense that okay. because I participated, because I helped create it, I have as much ownership as you do because you also helped participate and you also helped create it. But both of us have the same ownership to this episode. So I can use it how I want. You can use it how you want. And a lot of times that's how people... They, that's how they want it in the sense that, you know, you're trying to, you're having guests on, you want them to help promote it. If they share it, if they if they promote it, they push it, they use it on their website, they embed it or whatnot, mm-hmm. it helps to grow your audience. Yeah, but there exactly. are times, let's say that, you know, they're using it in a way that you don't want them to, or they're profiting from it or anything yeah. else that you want to have a bit more control, or they're using it on, let's say, you know, that you didn't anticipate that they were part of, you know, that they went not make racist comments or they make, um, you know, sexist comments or anything yeah. else. And so now you're attaching your brand to somebody else, that you didn't realize when you had them on as a guest, they were doing, going to use it that way, but now you're getting, you know, your brand is getting, being being dragged down. So it kind of creates a whole bunch of issues. And so that's why a lot of times now they're trying to solve those with kind of those agreements that oftentimes you'll click on to to help to avoid that if they need that control, that they can kind of take it back.
0: All right. Once again, um, I'm learning so much today. So thank you, Devon, for sure. sharing these ideas and, well, ideas and knowledge that you you have. So. Coming towards the the end or the last couple of questions, you mentioned social media, and this is something that I've seen happen uh, between other people. So of course it is an inspiration for business ideas, but I've actually seen one person copy somebody else's idea and make a business out of it. And in the process actually became like a daunting competitor and even had more success. So what Mm. advice would you give to small business owners when it comes to using social media? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a that's a big cat of worms. No, I mean, it, it, as far as you know. You always run the risk no matter what business you're in especially the startup there's always going to be people that are more funded better funded that are can take your idea they can blow it up they can invest more they can market it more and so you have to and as a startup you just can't you can't fight every battle you can't go after every competitor because otherwise you're going to go broke trying to stop them all and you're going to defocus your business and so I think you have to pick and choose your battles in the sense that you know if you have somebody that's coming along that is really hurting your business then that's one a battle you may want to go and fight you may want you know put the resource behind it but you have to realize every time you go fight that battle so with social media every time you put it up people are, you're exposing it to more people somebody may copy to some point and you have to decide whether or not this person that's copying it is worthwhile to go fight. And also, every time you do that, it defocuses you from your business. So now you're you're taking the time and energy and the money that you would have done to continue to develop, continue to out-innovate, continue to stay ahead of the competition. And you're going and fighting them. And sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes they're having a negative impact such that it makes it worth it. Other times they're just a, you know, a small mosquito. Mosquitoes can be annoying. They can bite you. But they're not going to – affect your business to the level that it makes worthwhile to be focus on it. So you have to kind of decide when you're putting it up on social media, when you're exposing it to new people, when people are starting to knock it off or copy it, are they a mosquito or are they a lion? Are they something that's going to eat you if you don't uh, stop them? Or is it something that's going to bite you? That's going to be a nuisance, but you should really move on. And then based on that, focus your business such that you can make sure whichever, whichever category you're in is how you should adjust to it.
0: Okay. And um- Lastly, thinking of your own specialization experience and also the kind of recent evolution of inventions in general that have been changing our, the way we live and this includes, of course, like social media, like you mentioned, and also just new media platforms. What change would you like to see most in our modern lifestyle? And how do you suggest we go about achieving it?
1: That's a good question. This is a time for Um... your inventor
0: self to shine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, For me, when I look at in a social, I am a proponent of, you know, free access to information in all of its forms. And so what I would like to see is honestly less, and and is probably counterintuitive, especially in the world where where we're moving and where the directions are, but less in less of the control on social media, less of, you know, fact checking and biasing and everything else, because every time you do that, it starts to bias it one way or the other, whichever way you do, everybody has their biases. So I think that. Creating more platforms that are just dissemination of information and letting people discern what they what they agree with, what they disagree with, what they what they think is true, what they don't think is true is true, and letting people be more the arbiters of what they want to a- acknowledge rather than having somebody else control that for us is probably where I think or where I'd love to see it headed. Just because then I think that it it goes back to kind of the roots of when it, or social media originally came up was it was just a platform for people to spread information and it'd be I'd love to see it almost rather as much as moving into the future, but also returning back to those roots.
0: Yes. And can you clarify on that exactly what you mean by just without being checked, the fact checking and all of that? Is it? Yeah, I mean,
1: if you were to go and I, I, I don't not gain political because I think it goes both sides of the aisles and, you know, and whether it's political or just somebody has a bias. Every time you fact check, you always introduce your own bias into whichever side you are and however you view it, because we all view it through our own lenses. We have our own experiences. And I'll look at one thing and you could look at one thing and you'll all say, well, I think it's mostly true. And I think that I agree with them. And therefore I would say that's going to be a true. And you'll look at it and say, no, here are all the reasons why I think it's false. And so you're always introducing a lot of bias. Now, some things are blatantly true and false. If I say, hey, the sun is, you know, the sun's not going to rise tomorrow and it rises tomorrow is false. But for most of them, you're infusing in a lot of opinions and experiences on your own. And so that gets more difficult to... Now, who is the arbiter of truth? Who is the one that decides what is true or what's not true? And how do you objectively decide what's true? Is it based on science? Well, if it's based on science, which scientists do you listen to? Do you listen to a scientist in the US? Do you listen to him in the UK? Do you listen to one that's more liberal, one that's more conservative? And so how do you go about deciding what's true and what those standards are? And it becomes so murky that you have people, that there's always so much bias into it that then you get to where you're, you're removing a lot of the truth you're trying to get to the truth and in the end you end up removing a lot of what could be true because based on the, whoever's doing the checking or whoever's looking at it they're going to infuse their own bias into
0: that yes i mean that's such a complicated topic and as you mentioned very very murky and i've like seen things written so well in a certain from a certain point of view that you're like, wow, well, this sounds like the truth. But then if you just look at it closer, you see, like, there's, there are some other, uh, facts that you need to consider too. They were just like very carefully left out. So it's, it's, I mean, that's a whole podcast on its own. So thank you for sharing your thoughts <laughs> yeah. and thank you for joining me today, Devon. It has been an invaluable episode and I'm so, so glad that we got to do this.
1: Hey, it was fun to be on. It's fun to share a little bit about intellectual property and business and creating things yeah. and protecting them. So it was a great conversation.
0: Where can people find out more about you and your uh, law firm and anything else you have to offer?
1: Yeah, so two two easy ways to connect up. If you have specific questions, you want to reach out to me directly, you want to grab some time to chat one-on-one, they can go to strategymeeting.com. That's all one word. It links right to my calendar. They can grab some time to do a free one-on-one consultation to kind of go over any specific questions. So strategymeeting.com if you're going to reach out to me directly. If you just want to find out more about the law firm, about the the process, about costs, about learning more things, you can go to lawwithmiller.com. And that one's just kind of the, the firm's general website it has a lot of great information. we brought out a lot of educational content on there. So that's the other way. We're just trying to get a look, come up to speed, get a bit more exposure and understand things. Go to lawwithmiller.com. If you wanna reach out to me more directly, go to strategymeeting.com.
0: Okay, thank you once again, Devin. And then just before we go round 42, the answer to life, the universe and everything. Do you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I've never actually seen it. It's one of my dad's favorite books. And then, and then my mom told me she thought the movie was one of the stupidest ones she'd ever seen. And so we, I didn't know which one, so I never actually got into it. So okay. I, yes. unfortunately, I miss out on that one.
0: So don't watch the movie. Read the book if you ever get a chance. But these questions, that's where the name for Round 42 comes from. So first question, you walk into the supermarket, which aisle represents you best and why?
1: Probably the I'll go with the candy aisle just because everybody likes it. So I always want to be liked. So I'll uh, I'll go with the candy aisle.
0: Okay. What important truth do very few people agree with you on?
1: Oh, then I'm always right. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It, you know, it, it, I, it, there's the old cliche or the ones that are on the the shirt. That you know, I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I'm just explaining why I'm right. And so that was I'll go with that one. The the truth that people don't get is that I'm always right. <laughs>
0: I love that one. Now, going back to your youth, what message would have changed your life if you'd seen it on a billboard?
1: Oh, that one, I'd probably just say just go for it in the sense that, you know, that's one if I were to take from a business perspective, all of, all of my experiences, on the ones that is don't, you know, don't wait and just or, or go, go for it. That would be probably the one that's impactful.
0: And then last question, what would you do tomorrow if you were 20% braver?
1: Oh, if I were twenty percent braver, I'd probably go take a month off of work and go travel for a while. So if I mm-hmm. if I was brave enough that I could, I thought that I could, I didn't have to work or my business would continue on without me, or I could take the time off. I, if I was twenty percent braver, I'd go take a t- or a month off and go or travel for a while.
0: Yes, that sounds like something I would love to do. And I'm like constantly, oh, I just want to get outside the house and travel and get on a plane or something. Yeah,
1: that's so, right. right.
0: Thank you once again, Devin.
1: Thank you for having me on, it's been a pleasure.
0: That's a wrap. You know how much I appreciate you all for joining me in this episode. If you are a creator currently living abroad or you want to live abroad, get in touch. Say hello on Insta at creators.abroad or head over to our website, creatorsabroad.com. You can find out more about my podcast production studio and content creation consultancy. All the details are on my website. If you want to support the show, you can also leave me a rating and review on Apple. It takes a couple more seconds, but it does help more people find the show and it means so much to me. Join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad.